The views and opinions expressed on Smack My Pitch Up are those of the panelists and not those of GUI Network, their sponsors, or any of the properties mentioned. Listener discretion is advised. This podcast is rated R for violence, language, and nudity. Well, it's a podcast, so you won't see the nudity. I just do it to make the guest uncomfortable. In a world gone mad with unnecessary reboots, remakes, and sequels, only one podcast has the guts to make even worse. This is Smack My Pitch Up. Hello, geeks, and welcome back to Smack My Pitch Up. It has been far too long since we've released an episode, so thank you for your patience, and welcome back to the fold. We are ready to bring you uh, a hotter, fresher sequel to this series in Smack My Pitch Up 2. On fire. On fire. The Reckoning. <laughs> um, we, basically, this we're doing a little bit of a switch up on the format. It's mostly the same. I mean, if you've come to like the format previously, there's not a whole lot changing. So you're going to be able to enjoy all the casting and the, and picking directors and weird takes on stuff. We're still going to be doing all that fun stuff. But in addition to that, um, there's going to be slightly less guests coming on. Um, occasionally, we'll have some guests coming on. But I have a co-host now with <laughs> me that is uh, joining me for this uh, this craziness here. You may have heard him on this show before. Uh, you may have heard him on GUI or on his podcast uh, outside of the network. My handle is Jonathan Blade. Uh, we've got Tondi here. Here I am. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. This is going to be something special. Like uh, Hobbit and I, you know, actually just started talking about this fairly recently, and I was on board immediately. I've always been a huge fan of this show, and I think that uh, with our creative muscles being a little bit different, we can take this some really exciting places. That's what I'm actually excited about as well, is that I always appreciate, I can see where your take is coming from, with the thought process and how you got there, yeah. but it's definitely not the way that I go with it, which makes it that much more fun. Like that's what I want. It's if it's two people always casting Seth Rogen, <laughs> then it's not going to be quite as much of an enjoyable experience. Oh, let me let me scratch Seth Rogen <laughs> right. off the list right now. The fact that you cast him as the <laughs> as the main uh, antagonist was, uh, was a surprise to me. Yeah, this is basically a little bit more static with the with the co hosting, which is going to help as far as the banter and. Uh, getting to know kind of our aesthetic when it comes to uh, some of these recastings and such. Oh, this is going to be a fun energy. Yeah, absolutely. You'll see. Yeah, right. And then the rest of this episode is going to suck, of course. <laughs> but for our inaugural episode as a team working together to make uh, these remakes even worse than the originals were, uh, we are doing something very brave and very bold. At the same time. At the same time. Uh, we are doing Batman. A dark night of podcasting, if you will. Yes, absolutely. And the joy of that is that we're, we've got such a massive place like, to pull from. Yeah, there's, yeah. there's such a uh, such a large swath of things to pull from, whether it be the movies or the comic books or the cartoons. There's so many different inspirations when it comes to Batman. The possibilities are completely like over the moon. I mean, it's it's crazy. Yeah, off the chain. Yeah. Actually, one of the inspirations from one of my pitches came from someplace way outside the box. Nice. Uh, mine actually came from 
a couple different places within the Batman universe, but uh, just approaching it with uh, a different a different uh, thought process as to you know like we'll we'll get into it when we get into our pitches. There, I mean, Batman has been such a long-standing character in the history of like American pop culture. I mean, it was really there before pop culture was even really a thing. In, yeah, in the in the the United States. It's... I don't know if you've seen the movie serials from the 1940s, but if Batman as a cultural icon can survive those, then Batman can do anything. You mean Batman with the floppy Batman <laughs> the ears? floppy ears. Oh my God, they are the most incredible. <laughs> and it's, if you think about those old silent movies with like the villain tying the, the woman to the train Real tracks track, kind yeah. of deal, <laughs> it's that, but with Batman, yeah. basically. It's the most ridiculous. He's driving like a rental car and yeah. Yeah, it's just the Batmobile is a mobile. Like, it's just and a he's car. Just in the daytime, yeah. <laughs> it's awesome. There's no budget. Zero budget. I no mean, the budget. budget was literally just having a video camera, or like a, <laughs> a, a hand crank camera to record this stuff. Um, it's incredible. It's very much that same, um, or even lower budget than the old uh, Superman serial. With, yeah, uh, with because George the Reeve. Superman serial at least had effects. And uh, no, before George, Kirk Allen. They had the animated flying in that. So, oh, right. So Kirk Allen was first, and then it was George Reed. Now, I was uh, doing a little bit of research about B- Batman and the iterations of Batman while we were uh, prepping for this show, this episode. And uh, one thing that I thought was interesting with the animated Batman series, I definitely liked kind of the Art Deco, old classic style. And I wondered if that Dark was Deco, kind of a, yep. a play into the era in which Batman's first came in or if it was something else. And actually it was because of the Max Fleischer Superman cartoons Yeah, that they were trying to think of how to approach it a different way. And they ended up landing on somebody being like, just do the Max Fleischer thing. And they're like, I mean, yeah, that is the obvious choice. We were trying to do something else, but like, that's clearly how we should go with this. I'm tr- I'm trying to remember what separated that art style and the, the, the dark deco art style that they did in the animated series was because they did uh, the drawings on black. So the base was black, not mm-hmm. white. And then, yeah, yep. And that definitely does change it enough where it has a much spookier kind of feel to uh-huh. the uh, the Batman stuff. And that was revolutionary at the time. To use a black backing on animation, yeah, that definitely gave it a totally different feel. Definitely. So, you know, what inspired me to, to think of Batman, um, not just the movie that's coming out shortly, and not just the thing that inspired one of my pitches, but I found a YouTube channel that basically the entire channel is doing... Um, Who's the documentarian that did the Civil War and baseball and... Oh, you're talking about, uh, what's his face, the PBS guy. Yes, yes. The, the PBS guy. Yeah. So this uh, is, Ken, uh, Ken, Ken Burns. Burns. Ken yes, Burns. Ken yeah. Burns. The entire channel is, there's a coffee table book called Batman uh, 1919 to 1939. And it's like an alternate universe take on Batman, but it has like uh, pictures and stories that it's supposed to take place in the real world of this Batman mythos that started after World War One, and the entire channel is just Batman after World War One, and all these in-canon comic book stories translated to something that is more real world, and um, something that is period-specific. So it even has like a, a Court of Owls story, which doesn't really work for what they're presenting, but it's really interesting yeah. to see it presented in the Ken Burns style. That's I'm gonna have to check that out because that's not too far off from where I was kind of going with my approach to this. Oh my! Is uh, I really I've always been a fan of the Art Deco style. It's it's very fun. It's a little bit campy, 
mm-hmm. uh, but it's but it's also just fun and it's it's really clean lines. Um, I I love it, and so uh, and also as a fan of like the the rockabilly stylings and stuff, there was a lot of Art Deco like that. That's like the '30s and '40s stuff, mm-hmm. but a lot of that rolls over into the old cars that they turned into hot rods and like a lot of that style that's like left over for like and the diner style kids. and diner style definitely. Yeah. So um, I've always been a big fan of that and the fact that that got incorporated into the animated series and also was around the time that Batman came out. I thought that that was something that was important to include in my uh, version of it is to have that like they pulled it into the uh, the uh, some of the live action films as well. Yeah, the it, um, what was Anton first? Who was the uh, the art director for the first two Batman? Oh, the first Batman movie because he killed himself after that. Um. I think it was Anton first. Uh, he did the he designed that Gotham City that mm-hmm. was like big and imposing in sure. the Art Deco style. And I I wanted to have a little bit of a, a lean towards that as well, and not less so the uh, the later versions of it that you saw with Batman uh, Forever and <laughs> Batman and Robin, where they tried to do the like Gothic Art Deco architecture thing, but it was so. Like flamboyant, it was so stage show at mm-hmm. the Warner Brother movie lot yep. kind of thing that it just it was unbelievable. Yeah, um, and, and that was a a choice. Uh, they were making a specific choice, just didn't work for everybody. No, in no. their conception of Batman, and I think there's a way to do that over the top Batman as well, but uh, that wasn't it. <laughs> that was clearly not. So, um, going into this version, just to kind of like follow my lead in, is that. I decided to make Batman a period piece mm-hmm. uh, where I'm going, where this is like the, the like late 1930s uh, or the early 1940s when Batman first came out. And I'm doing him more as a detective with an alter ego where yeah, I definitely considered that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it would be so fun, especially with the new Batman movie coming out where it's set like in the eighties and there's all these different versions of Batman that are happening with Warner brothers. Cause they can't pick one to actually stick with to uh-huh. go with their shared universe. Uh, so they're making fucking 80s Batman. I guess Joker might be involved <laughs> from the like Joaquin Phoenix Joker. Who knows? There's like Dark Knight and there's Bat- Batfleck and there's all these different versions and all of them kind of exist in their own spheres of reality that you can do a 1940s Batman. You can do a futuristic Batman. You can do just about anything you want with the character and it doesn't matter. Definitely. So um, there's a lot of freedom there. And just to have a like noirs coming back in a real way. With was it Nightmare Alley and uh, One Night in Soho and you know the, the, a lot of that stylistic yeah the stuff. over the the topness of those movies is it's something yeah like it's something that I I both like and I'm like hmm but it is really cool to present that once again on screen sure and it's oh, it's just so hyper stylized mm-hmm. that for something like a Batman movie I would really have fun having this like hyper stylistic period Batman noir like action movie. Uh, so that's, that's where I'm going with mine. Yeah, I'm digging what you're throwing down. Nice. So with, with yours, you said you're pulling from a different sphere than you would think. So to begin with, <laughs> uh, for my first pitch, I am going with something that is in, it has two separate influences. Uh, there's something that I've seen on screen only once in one movie that is what I want from a superhero movie. And they've only done it once because they always try to, Try to go as big as possible. Mm-hmm. But uh, Dread was that movie. Dread was so good. Dread was so good. Uh, even when it was first called The Raid, it yeah. was still very good. Yeah. Yeah. 
But that kind of movie, one bad night, a gauntlet that the person has to run, mm -hmm. all action. There's n there's no Bruce Wayne in uh, my take for this Batman. It's it's all Batman, one bad night. I like that. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So you don't have to have any backstory about the character or anything. So it opens with a montage. Yeah. Like less than a minute, quick montage. Like, uh, I don't know if you uh, read All-Star Superman or saw the All-Star yep. Superman animation, mm -hmm. but it opens with a quick montage to establish what this character is. Like, uh, what is it? Uh, dying Planet. Uh, adopted Parents. Uh, Metropolitan Newspaper. Sure. Superman. <laughs> so it'll open with that kind of montage to establish uh, what Batman is. So basically a version that doesn't have a epic slow-paced version of a 90s song on it, <laughs> yeah, like a Zack yeah, Snyder none movie. Of that, none of that. Okay. No, no uh, cummy pearls falling to the, <laughs> the ground or none of that stuff. No smashing pumpkins jam <laughs> playing slowly yeah. in the background where people weep in the rain. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no sad funeral. Yeah, okay, cool. So yeah, uh, so that is just a quick less than a minute at the top of the movie. We're into it. Nice. Okay. All right. So, do you want me to go into my pitch first? Yeah, you want let's, to, okay. let's, since you get, are getting it going, I want to see who's directing, I want to see who you're casting. Yeah. I want to get this going. Let's do it. Okay, so, for my idea for the movie, like I said, One Bad Night, two influences because I want to see this, this action movie, so I was like, do I focus on this being a One Bad Night gauntlet movie, or do I focus on it being a martial arts movie? And that was uh, going to determine who I got to direct this. Mm -hmm. So on the gauntlet side, I had considered uh, Pete Travis, of course, who directed Dread. Okay, yeah. Uh, I had considered Joe Carnahan. I had considered Gareth Evans. Okay. I decided I didn't want to go with the gauntlet side. I want to go with the martial arts action side. That's the focus, even though it's about that one bad night gauntlet. Sure. I mostly want to see Batman being badass. Mm -hmm. So... My director, and you may not know that this person has actually directed movies, but they've been directing movies for like 50 years or longer. Um, the fight choreographer for The, the Matrix, Yin Wu Ping, has been directing movies for like 50 years. Really? He, he directed the original Drunken Master. Oh, shit. I okay. Didn't, like, I didn't know this either. I had to do a deep dive. And he's also directed some movies that I've seen fairly recently. He's still directing. Sure. Man's like 150 years old. He's still <laughs> directing. Uh, so more recently, he directed the uh, the Crouching Tiger sequel that was on Netflix. Okay. And he also directed the Master Z spinoff from the It Man movies. I think that was in the theater for a while, but that also showed up on Netflix mm -hmm. eventually. But yeah, badass, uh, sometimes maximal wire work, sometimes minimal wire work, but uh, just super tight martial arts choreography, mm -hmm. over the top, hand-to-hand uh, -hand action. So that is what I want the focus of the movie to be, as Batman runs his gauntlet. Yeah, he's dealing with people that have guns, whatever, but Batman's style is up close and personal. So even if he slinks into the shadows, he comes out, Boom, and does damage. Uh, that is the overall focus of the narrative as well, because uh, this gauntlet is created by the fact that uh, a contract has been taken out on the Batman in, in Gotham City. We don't know who introduced the contract. Mm -hmm. All we know is that Lady Shiva, who in the DC universe is the greatest martial artist in the world, mm -hmm. is the one who is going to carry out the contract. 
uh, she and her organization are in Gotham. They're in Gotham to take out the Batman. Mm-hmm. So we have four main characters. We have the Batman. We have Nightwing, who was brought in to assist. Uh, he and Batman are running different parts of this gauntlet functionally until later in the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have Lady Shiva. And we have Kane, who is also a DC character who's connected to Lady Shiva. He is also a martial artist, but his focus is more on uh, military tactics. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is both Lady Shiva's underling and muscle, but also kind of her co-conspirator uh, in this organist, this assassin's organization that they're in. Sure. And so it's Batman and Nightwing versus Lady Shiva and Kane and the whole organization. And it kind of moves like, I don't know, like a video game. It's a, it's a gauntlet. It's this crazy fight. This different crazy fight. This different crazy no, fight. What what I love about this is that the thing that makes Batman different than a lot of the DC superheroes is the fact that he is just human. Mm-hmm. That he doesn't have superpowers. He has fancy gadgets, and that's great. But when he gets injured, he doesn't super heal. Like he can he can have some foam that he puts on it that makes it mm-hmm. like, medicates it, makes him like not feel the pain. But he's gonna have a gash. Like he's a he's a human man. Yeah, he's hurt. So. When you're looking at something like this gauntlet deal, uh, some of my favorite fight sequences in movies or like uh, periods in a movie is when you're seeing somebody getting fucked up yeah. in a movie and they don't recover during the movie. Like they're, they're still doing stuff and they have to just fight through the pain. You feel like every step is tearing them apart because of how hurt they are. And in this kind of movie, it's going to accentuate Batman being a person. And yes. not and being a superhero, but also being flesh and blood, like killable person. And by the end of this, I'm assuming just uh, going to be a, just a puddle. Uh, by the end of this, Batman will be effed up. Yeah. Uh, so the movie moves. Uh, he actually meets Kane uh, mid boss at some point. Mm-hmm. He and Kane go toe to toe. Batman physically has the upper hand, but there are also other assassins in the area. Sure. So there's a kind kind of a stalemate. They go their separate ways. Uh, at the end of the movie. They all come back together, and you think it's going to be two-on-two, because at some point, Nightwing and Batman have made their way together. Mm -hmm. Lady Shiva and Kane have made their way together. Kane starts to give orders. He's trying to make a power move under these circumstances. He has people in the Assassin's organization that are on his side. Lady Shiva's like, you know, we've been together as a team for a long time. If you are sure you want to do this, we can do this, but if you... Step aside, I will just hurt you, and we can continue doing what we do. And he's like, no, I, I think we can do this. So she one-hit kills him. Oof. And so it's j- it's Batman and Nightwing versus Lady Shiva, who is the greatest assassin, greatest martial artist in the DC universe. And they both fight her, and physically she beats their ass. Mm-hmm. They win. They outsmart her. Uh, together, they're able to come together and win the fight. But they don't take her down. There's like a time limit or something. Yeah. Or like a, a something of circ- like yes. out of circumstance, they somehow just happened to get the upper hand kind yes. of deal. Yeah. At the end, we find out that there was no contract. This was Lady Shiva testing her own limits. She was impressed by the Batman, so she will not kill him. She will let him live to fight another day. And she promises to take herself and the Assassin's Guild or organization out of Gotham in the morning leaving Batman and Nightwing winded and just there. Just like hanging out like, oh, no. Yeah. 
I can imagine just be like, wait, for real? You got like 50 assassins all around yeah. you. Like, okay, cool. Well, I guess this is it. And they're like, good show. Like that was, that was rad. Yeah. Like, we'll, we'll leave you be. So they survived Peace. the gauntlet, but they don't necessarily win. And, uh, I really smitten with this take. Uh, also because of the nature of the take, I'm going to go a little bit different. So this still takes place in, in American Gotham, but the leads are Asian. Mm -hmm. So Batman, Bruce Wayne, still Bruce Wayne is Henry Golding, who you may know from crazy rich Asians. Uh, he was also mm. the lead in Snake Eyes. Okay, yeah. Henry Golding. Not impressed with the Snake Eyes part, but like, <laughs> he, I really like that actor, though. Yeah, yeah. yeah he's, he's a handsome dude, and he's, um, he's biracial, so that's how he got, he has the Wayne name. We, mm -hmm. can, we can like show the, the biracial parents in sure, the opening sure. montage, whatever. Uh, Nightwing is Ludi Lin, who was Liu Kang in Mortal Kombat. Uh, he was Zack in the Power Rangers movie. <laughs> okay. Uh, I know him from a Black Mirror episode called Striking Vipers, where he was the, uh, the, the Asian video game character. Oh. Anthony Mackie was playing. Yep. Yep. I, yeah, I remember that episode. That was an interesting episode. So, uh, he's, he's the Nightwing in this story. Um, there's an Alfred who's part of the story, but he's the man on the comms. You don't actually see or interact with Alfred. Mm -hmm. Alfred's not Asian. Uh, I actually casted a voice actor for this because I'd, I'd seen him in something recently. I'd seen him on uh, The Witcher, like as a person, not as a voice actor. Sure. Uh, Graham McTavish, and you don't know that name, but you may know his voice because he voice acts in a lot of stuff. But most recently and famously, he was the voice of Dracula in the Castlevania Netflix series. Oh, okay. Okay. So uh, he's got a, a really strong voice for, you know, British dude, commanding presence, liked him. Uh, Lady Shiva. So my first choice for Lady Shiva was somebody who was bigger than this movie. Yeah. Um, so I didn't go with her, but uh, originally I'd wanted to go with uh, Zhang Ziyi, who was in Crouching Tiger, mm -hmm. Hidden Dragon, and who was in the Godzilla movies. And uh, I was like, wow, you know, she's so beautiful and she has the experience and I just, I, I love her, but she is like one of the four, like there's a name for them in China, the four pillars of their, their movie stardom. Mm -hmm. She's bigger than this movie. Sure. So <laughs> <laughs> instead of going with Zhang Ziyi, I decided to, because I'd seen her recently in something, uh, Kristen Crook, who was Lana Lang on Smallville. Uh, she okay. was Chun-Li in the, the Street Fighter, The Legend of Chun-Li. Yeah. Yeah. Terrible movie. And, uh, but I saw her on, uh, on the Reacher TV show recently that just came out on Amazon. Prime. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing that. I've heard good things. So she's in it and, uh, she's, she's a striking woman. She just, she was just in my head cause she's a striking woman. So, mm -hmm. I, and she's, she has experience in a fight movie. I was like, she'll be good for this. And with her fight skills, she's also a striking woman. <laughs> yes. And she's a striking woman, <laughs> uh, for Kane, David Kane, I'm going with Scott Adkins. Now, people don't know who Scott Adkins is by name unless they're really huge fans of action movies, but Scott Adkins is an action movie legend. He makes just a string of B, like, if there was a straight-to-video market as opposed to a straight-to-streaming market, that would be Scott Adkins' wheelhouse. You're talking like can a 1980s <laughs> Canon Films kind of fodder. Boom. Yeah. Boom. He is, the, he is uh, Boyka from the Undisputed movies, which is like five movies where he's like this Russian prisoner that gets in prison <laughs> fights or whatever. Nice. He had to fight uh, Michael Jai White at some point. 
Uh, I think was... everyone has to fight Michael Jai White at some point. <laughs> he was Keanu Reeves' stunt double, I think, in the original um, John Wick. Mm-hmm. He's He's been around for a long time. Actually, he was Keanu Reeves' stunt double in The Matrix, I think. He's been around for a while, but he's still kicking. He's still uh, in the action community, like the biggest star in the world. Yeah. They don't really make action stars like him anymore. So, like, it's it's Scott Adkins has this mark with corners. Nice. He, he and Michael Jai White are all like off making movies in Asia all the time. Yeah. He's always like the, the big white villain. That, but, I mean, if you're going to have like a, a thing that you're just shoehorned into and that's just your role in movies from now on, that's not a bad gig. Uh-uh. Not at all. That's like watching, um, but uh, my name is Dolomite with Eddie Murphy, where there's a dude that just plays like a racist cop in Dolomite and uh-huh. they're asking him about what he does. He's like, oh yeah, I was a racist in this. I was a racist <laughs> cop in this. I was a clan member in this. And they're like, so you're just a racist? Like, oh yeah, it's it's a great time being in black exploitation as the the racist white guy. Like, it's a it's a great role. It's steady work if you can get it. <laughs> but he was just super fine with it, you know, just easy and nice as can be. But just yeah, it's a living. <laughs> I think more movies should have that tone of that movie tangentially. I think just let's do something. But it's a small movie, and you're just let's do something, and you just you get the gang together, and you just do it. Uh, that's a really pleasant time. Oh yeah, definitely, and. You see some directors, especially when you're talking about like indies and stuff, have that kind of vibe to it, mm-hmm. where it's like, get the gang back together, we're doing another thing. Like, Wes Anderson, less, the budget has improved dramatically for Wes Anderson. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> but the earlier films, for sure, definitely have a, like a... Um, a little scrappier vibe? Yeah, a little scrappier vibe that I've always appreciated. So. As much, as, as scrappy as you can get with Wes Anderson? With, yeah, with affluent the- white problems, <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, that's... Uh, Oh no, I didn't get a, I got a B on my paper and I, and the teacher won't have sex with me. Cool. Like this is a really, really tough life for and me. I'm a jerk. Yeah. And I'm a piece of shit. Yeah. yeah. I actually love that movie too, but yeah. Yeah. Oh, but yeah, he's such a, such yeah, a terrible kid's, person. Kid's a turd, yeah. yeah, absolutely. But yeah, no, I, I, I love it. I think that's a great concept. I like the idea that you're doing almost like an action slice of life Batman movie. Where yeah. Like just, it's, it's a one night in Batman's life that. You know, he survives barely, and... Yeah, that's that's the movie I'd like to see. I'd actually like to see that with Spider-Man. Like, before uh, No Way Home, they were going to do a Craven movie, mm-hmm. and I would have loved to have seen a Spider-Man movie where Spider-Man is hunted through the night, and that's the, it's just an action movie. Spider-Man's being hunted through the night. Sure. Uh, I would have loved to see that. Well, and you could do that with, uh, with Batman a lot. Actually, a number of superheroes, but specifically Batman, I'm thinking about going with just the kind of trope action movie sequence stuff where you go, you could do like a diehard version of Batman, but it's with the Riddler mm-hmm. where you do uh, or diehard with a vengeance, but instead all the clues that you have to do is the Riddler doing it. And yep. then you have Batman and Robin or Nightwing. Well, we, we may be getting that. So we'll see how that, that uh, yeah, true. plays out. Yeah. Yeah. So um, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of room there and I like, yeah, this could be applied to so many characters. Yeah. And, just and the idea. Out. Yeah, loving just, the idea. Just the and idea, it, yeah. And also, I feel like you could do something, you know, not with Superman, of course, or anybody super powerful, but you could do a movie on a smaller scale, and you just invest in the uh, the stunt work, more bang for your buck, basically. Sure, yeah, yeah. For uh, that kind of movie. That's awesome. I'm into it. Yeah, exactly, because you have just a, a few floors of a building or something is all mm-hmm. you would really need to do this movie. And when the that budget goes down, yeah, you have the room for explosions and special effects and and well, even better actors, honestly. Like that's what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, ex- excellent. I love it. 
Sweet. Well, mine is uh, nothing like that. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but I think it's interesting that we have almost polar opposite approaches to what we're trying to convey with our Batman movies, uh-huh. but both are very reasonable to be included in the storytelling of Batman. Um, which is how versatile this character is. You yeah, know? Batman is broad. You know, he's got, what, uh, 80 years of canon at this point? Yeah. Yeah, it's insane. There's so much canon. And I wanted to bring it back to Front Street. I wanted to basically do a kind of a, a more expanded retelling of uh, Enter the Joker, the first time that you see Joker uh-huh. in the comic books. And uh, I reread that story, and it's the simplest story in the entire world. So th- there's plenty of room to build that out and play with the space a little bit with oh, that yeah, story. Awesome. Uh, and I wanted to have that like very stylistic, like noir 1930s, 1940s vibe, but also incorporating real life things that were happening in, in that time as well. We're either in war or at the brink of war, uh-huh. uh, depending on what year you set it in. And so there's, and there's this clash of cultures that are happening in America. There are American Nazis. There are American socialists. There are, you know, there are the working class. There's worker strikes. There's all this insanity that's happening in the United States in that era. Oh, so you're going to make this actual period stuff part of your. Absolutely. Awesome. Absolutely. And that's what's going to really drive the backstory of this, like, very simple plot from the comics. In the comics of Enter the Joker, basically, Joker one night over the radio announces that he at midnight is going to, like, kill this millionaire and steal this, like, really expensive diamond. Uh-huh. And then Midnight comes around, and, of course, he's getting guarded by everybody, and Midnight comes around, and he starts, like, suffocating, and he dies at Midnight. And then they go to the check the, the diamond that's locked away in a safe, and it's a fake. It's a, it's a, re, it's a glass reproduction. A yeah. And then the, the mustache twirl of it all with Joker is that he poisoned the dude the night before with something that took 24 hours to enter into his bloodstream, and also replaced the diamond at the same time. So the caper had been done. So when he announced it, it was already completed. Just for the theater. It was for the theater of it. So it was the thing with the the Joker is that it's not like the Riddler where he's giving you an opportunity to actually solve the riddles. Uh, The the things are already in motion with the Joker. He doesn't care about playing fair. Uh, I think there's even a line in that comic where um, if if you're going to tangle with the Joker, expect... uh, expect like low shots or something that he does not play fair. He's never played fair. And he takes delight in being one step ahead of people whether it's cheating or not. And so I like that vibe for the Joker of being like, no, I'm going to win no matter what. And around that time, you're also dealing with, there was a big anarchist movement in this country as well. Uh-huh. Do you think of anarchism as this like 1980s punk rock thing, but no, it's been around for hundreds of years. Started I, world war one. Yeah. And so to carry that over. And there was a lot of American anarchists in the 1930s and 40s as well, especially with all the war that was happening in the world. Oh. Uh, people being like, this is bullshit. So having Joker be an extension of that, but more the like the manic, non-political, like chaotic element of anarchism, as opposed to the like the politically driven and socially conscious version of anarchism. You know, he's the scary, like dark mirror version of anarchism. Definitely. And you, you really have to wonder what the manifestation of that personality type looks like in that era. Sure. Because it's going to be way different. And it's going to be, you know, he could look like kind of like everybody else, but almost just a little bit like there's something off about him, mm-hmm. you know, and got the crazy eyes. Yeah, the crazy eyes for <laughs> sure. And 
um, I wanted it to be that Joker in this version, he feels like he's like a class warrior, that he's, you know, standing up against the millionaires and and he's you know, doing something for the little people, but he's not doing anything for the little people. He's just murdering millionaires. He's using the jewels as an excuse to like break in and kill them and, and stuff. And there's multiple millionaires that he's announcing that he's going to kill and stuff with different ways of going about it. And so he's convinced himself uh, that he's this, you know, this hero of the people he's kind the of thing. He's hero of his own story, yeah. And as this goes along, and this is expanding past the comics, um, Bruce Wayne's on that list. He's he's trying to kill, you know, Gotham's millionaires. Um, and another issue is that, the, you know, this is crime-riddled Gotham, so there's a lot of heist stuff that's actually getting in the way of the gangsters in town that are trying to do their own uh, crime, you know? So like they're, he they're did crime before we did yeah. crime. They he basically gets to this ruby uh, before the the gangsters had it. They had it all planned out. They were ready to go, and then he got to it before they did. And that's actually from the comics. And uh, so they basically call out Joker like in public, calls him a piece of shit. Basically, um, just calling him out for not being as much of a champion of the people as he pretends to be, kind of vibe. And so Joker comes after him. Batman recognizes that this is an opportunity to take out two birds with one stone. So he camps out at the gangster's home and waits for Joker to show up and then uses that opportunity to like of chaos to try to get them both. He ends up not getting either. Um, the gangster ends up getting shot and Joker gets away. And so he's like, well, shit. <laughs> <laughs> and then he later captures Joker who then eventually gets out and stuff. But uh, the basic gist is that Joker is uh, taking down millionaires um, and stealing all these gems, the gangsters are mad at him. Uh, you know, cops are mad at him. Batman's like, who's this weirdo? And tries to take him out. Um, I wanted to really push this chaotic anarchist energy uh, from Joker. I wanted the the gangster to basically almost know the rules that they can play in to stay as far off the radar as Batman as possible. Mm -hmm. So when this crazy dude is coming up, you know, it's, it's like, dude, stop. He's like bad for business. Yeah, exactly. Really bad for business. Um, which is definitely kind of from the dark Knight as well. There was a little bit of that mm -hmm. vibe. Um, and then I also wanted where it's, it's hitting on the fact that Batman is also Bruce Wayne. Like he is the rich. Like uh -huh. he is the super rich and hit on that point that this is a really scary period in American history that there's a lot of really poor people. There's it's post uh, great depression. It's going into a new war after an old war that wasn't that long ago. There's people that are still like culture shocked, like PTSD from world war one. that are still around being like already we're already in another war. And in between this, you've got billionaire Bruce Wayne billion with a B. Um, oh, he's a billionaire in his era, huh? In his era, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, which is like one billion. <laughs> like <laughs> one billion dollars. Uh, but yeah, he's he's impossibly rich. And uh, and his idea of helping people is to dress up like a bat and go investigate <laughs> things. So it it is almost kind of taking the wind out of Batman a little bit with this version. So in this version, is the focus, e even if Batman is the main character or not, is the focus on the Joker? Do we do we stay with the Joker? For That's a, how it starts. You have murmurs, people talking about Batman. You see in the shadows kind of stuff here and there, but you don't really see Batman until probably like 30 or 40 minutes into the film. It's following this crime caper thing and the people that are responsible for it. Uh, you're really kind of following the police. 
Nice. For the first part of it. Uh, you've got Commissioner Gordon, which let me go down my list now. Yeah. Uh, so as far as the director goes, I wanted somebody that could do a period piece, could do really solid action. Um, and also when you're talking about these beautiful gothic, uh, like dark deco uh, buildings and statues and stuff, you want, you want somebody that's going to be able to light it really well. That's going to be able to get these beautiful shadows uh, uh-huh. just going across uh, the city center. We've got like this creepy gothic New York City vibe going for it really well. And something that I saw that just blew me the, the away with that kind of using shadow and using lighting to really express this this creepy or even like intense moment in a mm-hmm. film. Um, and has done period pieces and has done action and has done creepy iterations of period pieces as well. Like, I mean, hit every single note with Sam Mendes. Nice. And uh, he, he did... 1917, mm-hmm. which the use of shadow and lighting in that movie is absolutely incredible. And the long shots. And if you're looking at like Batman, like sailing through a thing or zipping through a thing, and you've got these beautiful long shots with shadow coming across, that's going to be such a amazing, uh, like stylistic choice there. Um, he did road to perdition. So he's already done a time, a period gangster piece, uh, skyfall. He's done King Lear, Penny dreadful city of angels. So as far as like the period goes and the action, I mean, he knows how to do Sam all Mendes of it. Mendes has the chops. He's got the chops for real to do this. So uh, the thing he doesn't do is ca- he doesn't have his cavalcade of characters that he brings into every movie that he does. He ha- yep. he doesn't work with a lot of the same actors like a lot of directors do. He has it's all all over the place, which actually opened it up for me. It let me choose who I thought was the most naturalistic choice for this version of Batman. Definitely. So Catwoman is in this too. I wanted her to be more the, like, I'm not in this for any political agenda. I'm just poor. Like, I'm just, <laughs> I'm, just I'm a, I'm a, I'm a cat burglar. Like, that's my, my vibe. Is she part of the narrative or she does she just inform the overall feel it's, of the movie? It kind of informs the overall feel. She's not deeply involved in the thing so much as that with Batman investigating, he runs across her and they have kind of a little bit of a, a back and forth about the nature of wealth, mm-hmm. you know, like, and, and who deserves the wealth. And I, I thought that'd be interesting to really be able to take a breather from the action and from the plot and just have that kind of nuanced, lighthearted conversation about like, do do millionaires and billionaires deserve the money that they have? Or is there a point where like, that's too much money and just out of being a human being, you have owe it to return that into the population, you know, then if not returned on its own right, then it's by force. And that's where Catwoman's line is versus- it. Bruce Wayne, where he's like, no, I'm returning it to the people by beating up bad guys just as a bat. You know, that there's a totally different uh, vibe to it. So Bruce Wayne talking as Batman, like, you know, uh, billionaires, not me, but billionaires <laughs> being interesting. Wink. <laughs> Wink. Yeah. So for her, uh, this is an actress that worked on Penny Dreadful, City of Angels um, and uh, Game of Thrones as well. And she's absolutely one of the most stunning women um, to ever exist on the earth. Uh, Natalie Dormer. Oh, as nice. Catwoman, I think would be a lot of fun. And she has that way of saying like really sharp and catty things, but with mm-hmm. a smile on her face, you're just like, yeah, say more nasty things to me. <laughs> like, keep coming. Um, then we've got Commissioner Gordon, and I wanted somebody that just looked like fed up, like just so burned out, just doesn't have the energy to deal with being the police commissioner Full, anymore. Fully just over the city of nonsense. Over it, and is trying to do the best job, and is a really good character person, but just can't keep up with all the crime like this is too much and exacerbated and burned out and i thought 
it would be really interesting to see what Richard Jenkins could do in that role, which if you're unfamiliar with him, he was the dad and stepbrothers. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and he's been in a, like every movie ever. He's been in so much stuff. Um, and he's been in, I think, I think he's in Nightmare Alley. I think he's in uh, Shape of Water. Like he's in a lot of Guillermo del yeah. Toro period stuff as well. So he would feel comfortable in that kind of realm. And then we've got uh, Brute Nelson, who's the gangster that's in charge of, mm-hmm. you know, of trying to get the Joker at his house. And the main gangster? The main gangster. And for this one, I didn't want to go for, even though the name is Brute Nelson, and in the comics it is more of a like a big character, uh-huh. I wanted the bigness to be in their personality and, and where they are as far as the, the like hierarchy of criminals. And so I didn't choose a big actor for this. I chose somebody that could have a big, like... Presence. Presence in the scene. And I thought because of, I mean, it was kind of a no-brainer with uh, Boardwalk Empire, but uh, Steve Buscemi just seemed like a pretty natural choice to throw in as just this like almost cartoonishly, but pulls it back just enough. Yeah, Buscemi's a knife guy. I could definitely see Yeah, 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 definitely. Um, And then we've got uh, Henry uh, Claridge that he is one of the main millionaires that is being... Uh, dealt with in in this in this manner uh-huh. and kind of informs that like I want to almost opening sequence that's almost a nod to the opening sequence from Dark Knight, but it's with the guy being protected by the people by by his bodyguards and at midnight he's supposed to die and the diamond being taken and there's this like opening sequence about that so he he's on screen for a little bit longer than a lot of the other millionaires are yeah in the story and so for for that character I thought how fucking fun would it be as the millionaire in a Batman movie to cast George Clooney because <laughs> he's got that timeless classic yeah. look and he looks like a rich guy he yeah. looks like a rich guy and just just as a little wink at the uh, at the audience to just have him in a Batman movie as not Batman but another millionaire like another rich guy could 100% see it yeah I think it would be so much so, just a fun little little thing to do um, for the Joker this is tough it was really tough for me to figure out because it's the Joker. It's one of the most iconic villains of all time. And everybody that's played the Joker has pretty much knocked it out of the park with their own version of things. And the Joker that's in the comic is not the like psychopathic Joker or the like gangster Joker. He's more of a setting things in motion and step back and see what happens kind of Joker. Like even though he already knows what the results are going to be like, he's, he's a lot more methodical and even a little bit more muted than some of the other jokers that you've seen on screen. It's, it's, uh, there's a little bit of a, like, uh, evil genius vibe to him as opposed to like the, the flower that shoots poison kind of gadget thing. Yeah. Um, the, the take is he's got as long a history as Batman. Yeah, almost. So exactly. Of course there are infinite takes on that character. Exactly. And so I wanted somebody that would be able to have that like quiet, uh, chaotic tone to them. And I think, uh, Nicholas Holt, would do a, oh, I can see that. A, would do a pretty good. He's got that gangly thing, which if you if you dress him in like tight fitting, but still like fits well, a suit, mm-hmm. he's gonna look that much more spindly and have that like kind of borderline inhuman looking frame. Yeah, I guess, I guess it's almost a given at this point that the Joker has to have a British body. Is that, that the, <laughs> pretty much? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think you have to have like gangly limbs and uh, just a really teeny toothpick body. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, they they allow for big Adam's apples for Joker now, I think. <laughs> so I think he'd do a great job. And then that's one of the people that I found out that he was going for the role of uh, of Batman along with Robert Pattinson uh, for this newest one. He was he was on the short list for uh, for Batman. 
I guess he is kind of one of the it guys. Yeah. And I think I was hesitant about Robert Pattinson when he got cast. I've warmed up to it more as time has gone along, but I can't see Nicholas Holt. I can't either. Yeah. And actually, I was I was on board with Pattinson. I could see him doing that until I heard about them filming the movie and being like, nah, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. Oh, no. What is this going to be? Yeah. I'm still going to watch it. But oh, yeah. yeah, but we'll see. Uh, and then we've got, of course, Batman and Robin. Robin, that was, I wanted a teenager. I wanted somebody that you're actually looking at the, about the boy wonder being in peril. Uh-huh. And I'm like, why is this billionaire like string, dragging along this like this you know, 16 or 17 year old? I mean, on the high end of, a, of childhood, but still, he's a fucking kid, dude. Like, what are you doing? And you need a, a kid that's going to be able to really act their, their ass off to, um, to play the nuance uh, that I want this Robin to play. And uh, Noah Jupe is such an incredible actor. Uh, he uh, was in Wonder, Honey Boy, Quiet Place. He was also in a period piece called Houdini and Doyle, uh-huh. um, or a series where it was set in that era as well. So with some familiarity of doing some period uh, drama stuff. So I feel like Noah Jupe is a, is a go-to for you. Yes, I've used yeah. him a few times. Um, kid actors are harder for me. Oh, me too. Be- I don't know any of them. Yeah, so that's why we haven't done a Goonies episode yet, because <laughs> it's just all children. So just <laughs> casting all children would be tough, um, unless you do like a 30 years later kind of thing, which is definitely doable. But um, no, Jupe's great. Uh, th- his look, he could definitely pull off like a Tim Drake vibe. I'll just darken his hair a little bit. Mm-hmm. He'd be good to go. Um, then Batman. I wanted grizzled 1930s, 1940s billionaire detective version of Batman and not like the super agile kung fu batman uh this dude he can fight but it's more brawler style than you know martial arts style he has a gun he has rope with a uh grappling end to it and he doesn't have all the fancy gadgets this is old school uh-huh seeing michael shannon play <laughs> batman <laughs> would be very interesting to me yeah he's he's frank miller's batman michael shannon is frank miller's batman right yeah that it's this this like big like, he's a box. He's a refrigerator. Yeah, exactly. And he's got this in, impossibly square jaw that uh, would be interesting to see him as this little just square Batman going around the 1930s, 40s uh, Gotham City. Just smacking dudes into oblivion. Just exactly. You, pushing them through walls. And especially t- against Joker. So you've got tall, spindly Joker. And then you've got meaty Mitz McGee uh, <laughs> Batman that just in one swat could just like send him into the wall. Um, I, I think it would show that, like, it, it would show that Joker, it, even though he's not the strongest, um, is able to hold his own against somebody that is so powerful. And that half of B- Batman's uh, abilities in this role, uh, because he doesn't have a lot of gadgets, is intimidation. Mm-hmm. Is that he's this big man. Like, he's this big, scary presence in <laughs> floppy ears. Uh, Everybody's scared. They're like, oh, no, it's Batman. And then he takes off his mask, and they're like, oh, no. It's Michael Shannon. Yeah, right. It's Michael Shannon. Oh God, that's even worse. <laughs> Michael Shannon was, a, I thought, a weird choice for it, but I'm, I'm here for it. Yeah, I want to no, see I'm, what that I'm looks like. Definitely, definitely. Actually, so if you look at period casting at that time, uh, the aforementioned 1940s Batman has a Michael Shannon-ish look, like a kind of a big head, square jaw mm-hmm. kind of dude. Yeah, and uh, kind of yeah, like a broad, meaty mitts kind of, yeah, <laughs> kind exactly. of dude. So yeah, with it not being like a martial artist that it has to be like quick and and agile, I was like, let's just go the other end where it's this big like 
this hulking hulking character that is jumping off roofs <laughs> like only because they're so sturdy they can actually, actually <laughs> land it oh no it broke my leg again yeah right <laughs> and he just keeps walking yep. normally uh basically ludo from labyrinth but dressed <laughs> as batman that's what i was going for fully dig it <laughs> michael shannon sad <laughs> <laughs> yeah i am in i can fully envision this movie i am i am fully seeing uh this take place uh on screen like I, i'm digging the whole vibe and then it was, as joker's like killing these millionaires you know there's that false uh, equivalency of him being the savior of like the the working class that are already on the verge of riots there's like labor strikes there's uh so socialists marching in the streets there's chaos happening and they're looking at joker as this like hero almost when he really isn't like he's He's not in it for them. He's yeah, not he in it for anybody. He doesn't care about them. He just aligns philosophically. He aligns with what they're doing in the moment. Yeah. And or functionally, ba Batman is basically the ACLU of heroes where he, he's going to protect bad guys and good guys, billionaires and poor people, uh, because like everyone deserves to, you know, to live free and, and, and safe. And, you know, the poors are like, um, no, the millionaires, really, that's what you're going to spend your time with, protecting the millionaires. And uh, are kind of pissed at Batman, so they they're desperate for someone to root for, and so they yeah. root but for he's the guy. Nineteen forties Batman, so he's like, yeah, I protect everybody, but uh, those Chinese. Uh... <laughs> oh no, 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 not racist Batman. Oh no, no, Batman's a man for the people. Oh no, no. If, I mean, nineteen forties Batman might be racist. I hadn't considered that. <laughs> oh no, what did I do? <laughs> oh no. <laughs> it's an easy fix you just you you have him living in a gotham that uh, was had purity like population tech so there's no asian people in this oh gotham. cool 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 yeah purity <laughs> yeah. tech yeah that's what I, that's worse <laughs> toddy that is worse yeah but but this racist gotham doesn't have to deal with that directly because they're so no. you're just saying like a a like a white nation this yeah. is this is like yeah, the like, aryan like a, like a white gotham like a like a sundown town but it's a whole city a sundown city in in the like 30s and 40s so you're talking about like a nazi wet dream is what you're talking yes no oh. absolutely not <laughs> racist batman would be so fun and i could just see michael shannon being that yeah guy. michael shannon being the batman of the, the, the nazi gotham <laughs> batman uh would yeah michael shannon yeah <laughs> wow all right i rescind my entire <laughs> <laughs> holy shit okay so <laughs> those are our our uh our takes that we think might work or might be interesting to see these are the uh the next or the remix takes the ones that are remix remix a little bit more out of bounds a little weirder <laughs> and uh yeah they always <laughs> they're always interesting we don't need to spend a lot of time with the remix most of the time the, the it, remix is where the good time is yeah 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 so uh, what do you have for your remix so my remix is actually the, the take that got the most love. Um, I'm going dark comedy, like dark, dark comedy. Yeah. Uh, it's the idea, not the plot, but the idea is based on a, a web short. If you say Nazi Gotham. <laughs> <laughs> well, you stole that. So yeah, now yeah, I have yeah. to go to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, the idea is based on a web short from 2006 called um, Batman's Gonna Get Shot in the Face. And so this movie, which is Batman's going to get shot in the face, directed by 
Boots Riley, because it's weird social commentary. Okay, yeah. yeah. Sorry to bother you's Boots Riley. He's got on my radar after Sorry to Bother You. Yeah. The focus of this movie is actually not Batman. Batman is a plot device because the movie opens with a montage, like the other one. But in this one, we see Bruce training to become the best at what he does. He returns to Gotham. He floods the market with uh, the symbol of the bat is a viral marketing campaign. <laughs> okay. And then when he hits the streets, with, as this, this symbol of justice is known in Gotham before he's on the streets, he hits the, the streets, and he's a symbol of justice and criminal fear, and uh, his first takedown of criminals goes pretty well. He's well-trained, well-equipped, but what he's doing is stupid, so in his second takedown, uh, he gets shot in the face, dead. He's dead in the first, like, five minutes of the movie. Wow, okay. Uh, so what this movie's about is actually Gotham and white privilege, because after Bruce is murdered, the blame, and it almost doesn't make any sense except in the world, mm -hmm. uh, the blame is put on Lucius Fox, who is the CEO of Wayne Enterprises. Uh, Lucius knew... And this is leaked to the public. Lucius knew that Bruce had this plan. And so Lucius had to walk a tightrope of trying to keep Wayne Enterprises uh, open because otherwise Bruce would have uh, liquidated it and spent all the money on this Batman stuff. Mm -hmm. So he allowed Bruce to do just enough to keep him happy while keeping Wayne Enterprises open. Uh, and ultimately, Bruce got killed. Lucius is blamed because he's the black guy uh, who allowed this mentally unstable white man who's <laughs> famous and rich and popular to do this. So under these circumstances, uh, Bruce Wayne, who's played by K.J. Appa, who is uh, Archie from Riverdale, is... So a younger Bruce Wayne. Yeah. Yeah. Because okay. this, is, this is like year one. Yeah, sure. So, it, actually, week one. So, yeah. And, and then dead. Uh, he becomes a myth in Gotham. Kind of like he wanted, but not really like he wanted. Sure. The uh, the symbol of the bat becomes... He probably preferred not death. <laughs> yeah. The symbol of the bat becomes a thing, but it's not the kind of thing that you want. Like, so everybody, all of Gotham's blaming Lucius, but the police in Gotham take on the symbol of the bat, like the police in the real world have done with the Punisher logo. Sure. As a uh, martial symbol against... Uh, suppression of the population because Gotham is a shit show. One of the things that Lucius tells Bruce in a flashback is that, yeah, sure, come back and clean up Gotham because Gotham is a shit show. He's like, you are likely, as likely to be murdered by the gangs or by the police as you are by the gangs and both of them will just sprinkle crack on you to make it look like you took your own life just mm -hmm. for fun. Yeah. Uh, sprinkle, sprinkle might give you a hint to who Lucius Fox is. Uh, Lucius Fox is... <laughs> <laughs> is Dave Chappelle. No! <laughs> Dave Chappelle is, uh, is the embattled uh, Lucius Fox. The person who murdered Bruce is Joe Chill, as he was in the Dark Knight movies. Mm -hmm. uh, Cole Sprouse is Joe Chill. There's actually some plot behind that. He's on the run. Somehow the police haven't been able to find him. Uh, Lucius can't find him. We find out why later on, but Joe Chill is basically a meth head who was kind of hired to murder Bruce on this second outing as Batman. Uh, Commissioner Gordon 
has a hard on for Lucius Fox because Lucius Fox is a powerful black man in the city. Sure. Uh, he hates him. He's putting all his energy into trying to take down Lucius Fox. Under these circumstances, Jeffrey Morgan, Commissioner Gordon. Okay. Hard ass. Uh, Barbara Gordon. Oh, that's a good cat. I like that a lot. Yeah. yeah. No nonsense, hard ass. Yeah. Uh, if you don't know who Jeffrey Morgan is, he was in The Walking Dead. He was in The Watchmen as the uh, comedian. Uh, BVS is Thomas Wayne, so he already has Batman experience. Is there a supernatural? Yeah, supernatural yeah. is the father. Um, Barbara Gordon, she's kind of a cameo, but more because she uh, she actually influences the people. Uh, she is inspired by Bruce Wayne's example. She tries to hit the streets, has this costume, jumps off a building, trying to parkour, breaks both her legs. The public blames Lucius that this pretty little white girl got hurt because uh, Lucius actually has the patent for the, um, the, the fabric that these vigilante people are using to try to protect their bodies. Mm -hmm. And so inspiring them to think they're more than they are. And uh, her pretty crying face is seen on television. I'm appreciating the Dave Chappelle <laughs> casting a little bit more of just the exacerbated yeah. lines that he'd be able to deliver. <laughs> just like Harvey Dent is in this. Harvey Dent is also... Supposed to go after Lucius. Harvey Dent is a liberal. He does not, he feels for Lu Lucius Fox, but he's also like, eh, it's the system. What are you going to do? We have to do this. He actually looks at the police and he makes mention at some point that it's uh, ironic that they're both against Lucius Fox and using the symbol of the bat as like a rallying cry for the, uh, for the police officers. If mm -hmm. they think that he has like enabled this, uh, this thing to be so, but he's like, eh, you know, it's my job. And, Whatever. Uh, that's Jason Sudeikis as Harvey Dent. <laughs> yeah. uh, and then wow. the, as, uh, as the Gotham police officers that we see as we move through this, uh, we have Bullock and Montoya. Uh, Harvey Bullock is Kevin James. Uh, Renee Montoya is Stephanie Beatrice from uh, Reno, or um, sorry, uh, Brooklyn 911. Okay. Yeah, yeah. she's uh, Rosa Diaz. Or Brooklyn 99. Uh, yeah, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. So. Um, yeah, she's yeah. yeah, yeah, she's awesome. Yeah, and then in the middle of the uh, the events, we have all of these villains that pop up, inspired by the existence of the Batman. They're like, yes, this um, theatricality, this is going to be something that's cool. I'm going to make my mark on the city. Uh, so we see the Joker pops up, and he's like, um, "What's the Joker's line? Wait till they get a load of me." Sure. And these are quick cuts. It's like, wait till they get a load of me. Next cut, he's dead. The police are sprinkling crack on him because they're the ones who killed him. <laughs> you see him get shot by the police. Yep. Um, that is uh, from... Because um, I did not put the Joker's actor down, and it's skipping my mind right now. He was in Boots Riley's movie. He was the lead. Lakeith Stanfield. Stanfield, yeah. He's yeah. the Joker. Uh, Jim Parsons is the Riddler. Riddle me this. Stabbed to death by a junkie. Josh Gad's a penguin. Does an umbrella flourish. <laughs> Cut to him cowering the showers in prison as a group approaches him. Uh, Daisy Ridley is Catwoman. Diamonds are a girl's best friend. Uh, shot to death by store security. And uh, so on and so on. We have like a montage of these, these people trying to be theatrical. Mm -hmm. And then Gotham is such a shit show that they're just both sides. Police, criminals, regular people on the street just take these people out in a quick succession. Just like, no, that doesn't, that doesn't work here. It's not. So as this goes on, uh, 
we find that um, Dave Chappelle is trying to find out what happened to Joe Chill. He's trying to clear his name. It leads to the mastermind of the entire situation, which was Alfred. Because... Okay. Uh, Alfred uh, was not happy with the idea that Dave Chappelle, that Lucius Fox, was such a powerful man in Gotham and he was a butler. Uh, and with Bruce dying, he inherited... The company is still... Uh, Lucius still runs the company, but the money uh, and the stock... Uh, options went to Alfred, so sure. that Alfred's powerful, rich now too, and that's Mark Rylance. So he discovers Mike Rylance, he finds Joe Chill, mm -hmm. resolves the situation, we think it's going to be a happy ending as uh, Lucius Fox drives off in victory, Woo! stop by the cops. We see a back shot of the cop walking up to Lucius's car, uh, the cop has a back tattoo on his neck, he's got his gun drawn. Uh, fade to black, sprinkle, sprinkle, end of the movie. <laughs> Jesus Christ. A lot of crack sprinkling in this version. <laughs> yeah. Decidedly 100% more crack sprinkling than any Batman movie that I've seen. I don't remember that many crack sprinkling scenes in previous Batmans. I don't remember Batman 66 when they were doing the Bat-Tootsie and somebody sprinkling crack on somebody it's, it's in the like background. It's like fairy dust, like Batmite sprinkled fairy dust on the whole thing. <laughs> there we go, perfect. You didn't cast Batmite. Um, my version is not as good. Uh, that was fantastic. Fuck. Um, I decided to do the thing that nobody nowadays wants to do with cart, uh, comic book movies is to lean in as hard as they did in like the early nineties uh -huh. with, uh, with, I mean, you're talking about the era of Dick Tracy, the phantom, the shadow, like these, these com comic book movies. And then even the TV movies where you've got the, the, uh, shield movie. Uh, or Nick Fury agent of Shield the with the Hoff as uh, as Nick Fury, and it's such garbage. It's it's so, but it's so much campy fun. But if you could do a version of that where it knows how bad it is, so it really plays with that space of being overly campy like and the trial of the Incredible Hulk. Yeah, you, <laughs> you where you just get like have a lot of fun with the campiness and just go over the top intentionally and just live there and. There's one director that actually did a Marvel movie that was the closest to that tone that I've seen in modern uh, superhero movies was Captain America, the first Avenger. And nice. that is Joe Johnson, who also did the motherfucking Rocketeer. The Rocketeer, yeah. And if that's that tone is almost too good. Like, I want him to, like, <laughs> lean back a little bit and be like, no, I don't want it to be approachable. I want it to be so ob obnoxiously, like... Yeah. bad bad sets that you know is a set you know like very boxy like gangster suits that are pastel colored i mean just like really lean in super hard where even jerry bruckheimer is just like well okay that is too much color you want expensive goofy yeah expensive goofy is 100 where i'm going where i think joe johnson knows how to do that nuanced that if you gave him carte blanche to just go wild with it and just unleash the beast a little bit he would have so much fun in that space to just oh, yeah. go so big actors be, being cartoon versions of these characters living in this very Dick Tracy-esque Gotham where all the, like, it looks like hand-drawn backgrounds and, you know, like incredibly brightly colored and well-lit gangster suits. And yeah, and it, it could be like, ooh, bring back the, uh, the overdone matte paintings for the, the background. Yes, absolutely. And hard, long shadows. Yep. And then the clear, there's a speaker on set playing the police siren noises uh -huh. and helicopters. And it's just, it, the street 
doesn't even like it doesn't even look like it's made out of concrete. Like it looks like some foam thing that they put down. Um, you know what I'm seeing is an intersection between Dick Tracy yeah. and Sky Captain. Yes. Oh, I would love to have some of that like retro future Sky Captain kind of vibe to it mm-hmm. as well because I loved in Batman the animated series they just had blimps. Just, Everywhere. Just rolling around like the it was city. London. It was yeah. just, yeah, just a normal thing. That's great. So, Joe Johnson, who did Captain America, The Rocketeer, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, Jumanji, The Wolfman, uh, the live action elements of Pagemaster, Jurassic Park 3. So, he's got a lot of a lot of hits and a lot of misses, and I kind of like that. Uh-huh. That's perfect. Um, down the list, Catwoman. We're going full-on Eartha Kitt-style Catwoman. Um, I'm doing Tandy Newton uh, from for Catwoman. Uh-huh. Um, she was in a kind of a noir ver- future kind of thing called Reminiscence recently with Hugh Jackman that wasn't that great, but she was, she was brilliant and as always. Mission Impossible 2. Mission Impossible 2, Westworld, she's incredible. So she is Catwoman and she's just all sorts of sexy, just doing all the like smart, dangerous, sexy lady stuff that Catwoman does and, and just killing it. And then we've got Commissioner Gordon and I wanted just a big presence Commissioner Gordon that's a fucking weirdo and just can't keep things together. Like, it's not that because it's just too much crime. He just, he's a weirdo. Like, he he is bad at his job. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why he's cool with the Batman running around because he's just so inept at being a, a commissioner. <laughs> um, and I thought it'd be really fun to see what uh, uh, Benicio Del Toro uh, would do. Awesome, <laughs> as, awesome. I gotta tell you, my alt Gordon was yeah. John C. Riley. Wow, yeah. okay, okay. Yeah, Big goofy, I big like goofy. It, yeah, yeah. I, I thought that'd be a lot more fun than the you know overworked Gordon. Uh-huh. Uh, then we've got Brute Nelson. I'm I did the same storyline basically because it is kind of a gangster story deal. Uh-huh. I was like, cool. So keep the same characters. Brute Nelson, big gangster, big cartoon gangster energy. Ron motherfucking Perlman. Oh yeah. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't need to explain He's that. He's also a 1940s like 30s 40s kind of, kind of guy. He looks like the guy that has the single strap unitard and lifts triangular <laughs> <right> weights <laughs> like, like he did. Yeah, yeah, like he did. Um and then we've got for Henry Claridge, the millionaire, um classic good looks, handsome, uh, rich, like has that rich vibe to him. Ryan Gosling, I think oh. would do a great job. Yeah. Um he Probably wouldn't take such a small role in such a cartoony vert. Or maybe he's like, no, fuck it. That sounds great. Um, then we've got the Joker. You want the most cartoonish energy you could possibly get from somebody. So you want somebody that is like, has played some of the weirdest characters, has the strangest kind of body uh, possible to incorporate this like almost wacky, waving, inflatable, arm flailing <laughs> tube man of a villain. And so I could think of no one better to do that than to uh, get some great makeup on him and throw him out there in the world. Uh, Doug Jones. Oh, that'd be awesome. Who's done everything ever. He's, he's the guy, the, the go-to guy for any kind of prosthetic work stuff. He was in The Shape of Water, uh, won an Oscar for that. Um, he was in Pam's Labyrinth for a couple roles. Hellboy. Hellboy. It, Mimic was actually where he met Guillermo del Toro because he played one of the the creatures. Mm-hmm. And uh, they got along so well. And he did. And he, I saw him at a Q&A at a convention. He said the real trick besides his just weird body shape is that he's pleasant to people. He's in the <laughs> chair for six to 12 hours sometimes getting all this makeup done. And he's polite to the makeup artists. And he's like nice and engaging and has conversations with people and it's just nice 
And so he gets work because people are happy to work with him. I could see that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. And you definitely have to be patient to be the kind of person who's just, your job is to sit in the chair for eight hours a day or whatever. Yeah, and then you got two hours of being like, ooh, <laughs> and then you have to take, then into three hours of taking it off. Yeah. So, uh, and he was so sweet. He was such a sweet man when I saw him in Q&A. Uh, so yeah, Doug Jones is the Joker. I think he would be so insanely over the top. It'd be so much fun. Uh, then we've got Robin. I went with Ty Simpkins, who was in Jurassic World, Iron Man 3 as mm -hmm. the kid, and uh, Insidious. And uh, with that, it I almost kind of want the kid to be the one that isn't the zany one. Like, uh -huh. Robin is the one that's kind of grounded in reality, and all this shit is happening around him. Nice. So it's like, the world is just this fucking cartoon, and it's insane, and Robin is wearing, yeah, the Robin outfit, <laughs> and it looks ridiculous, and he knows it looks ridiculous, and he knows all this stuff is crazy, and it's just like... He doesn't understand why. And he's Daria up in this piece. Oh. Kind of like a, <laughs> seriously, just not. So he's the, our way in to the, to the movie uh -huh. is through Robin. And then uh, for Batman, I wanted big, dumb hero energy um, for this role. And I thought John Hamm <laughs> as a cartoonish Batman in this Dick Tracy world would be, uh, it's vers via Sky Captain as well, would be so much fun. And he's got a great comedic, uh, yeah, like he's, he's got great comedic energy. Yeah. John Hamm is awesome, and he looks like Batman. And he, well, he looks like like a 1930s Batman. Yeah. He's got that 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 chin. I mean, he yeah. I think it would be really fun to see him just playing like a cartoony Batman. Yeah. So yeah. So th that's my casting. Um, I want to see that because it would be so much fun. Just a Batman movie that doesn't take itself seriously at fucking all. That would be so much fun. And I think the chances of us ever getting that are slim to none, yep. which makes it even more important to be like, yes, this is a great idea to put out there in the space. The closest you could get to that is like the Lego Batman movie. Like that's about as close as you can. Well, what was the, uh, the Batman cartoon that came out where Dietrich Bader voiced Batman? Oh, the brave uh, and the bold, brave and the bold. Yeah. yeah. Was, was there like time traveling in that or something? There was every, so they wanted to do like the 1960s Batman. Yeah. It's just a swing in good time and every crazy thing you could think. Yeah. So that's what they did. That is, uh, that's, that's kind of what I'm thinking aesthetic wise, uh, for your project, the brave and the bold Batman. It's, it, this isn't a baseball game. It's the home run derby before the all-star game. Yeah. It's just nothing but huge swings yeah. the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I'd be so much fun. So um, th those are our uh, our ideas for all four versions of Batman. And here we've got a uh, gritty sl action slice of life, uh, like ninety minutes is ninety minutes kind of movie. Yes. Yeah, uh, which is fantastic. Uh, we've got the uh, what did I do? My my nineteen thirties forties gangster Batman, uh, like dark. Deco vibe movie. Uh, we've got the Everyone Dies <laughs> Batman movie. Um, and then, yeah, Dick Tracy as Batman uh, movie. So, yeah. Loving it. Got some, yeah, some so solid choices here. Don't be jealous, Hollywood, that you keep doing the same Batman over and over again. But if you need some ideas, we're right here. Yeah, we got four versions sitting, waiting, ready for you <laughs> whenever, whenever you're ready. Just Watch want us. some of that, uh, some of that money for a story by <laughs> give us that and we'll be happy that joe rogan podcast money <laughs> yeah, just like so like a sliver of that i'd be content <laughs> like we can only do one million at you know what you did your best i'll <laughs> i'll go ahead and i guess suck it up i guess <laughs> uh 
All right. So um, in lieu of the mashups, um, because I actually have a shortlist idea for next week. Okay. So I'm going to take the shortlist for next week. For the short episodes that we do every other week on, on here, we're going to do kind of a mixture of the shortlist when one of us has an idea that we can play with uh, in that space, an original concept. And the weeks that we don't have one of those or we feel like expanding on stuff a little more, we're going to try to do the mashups that we normally have. Uh, we can take the time to play in that space like in real time. We're not preparing anything for those mashups. We're coming up with the content together on those uh yeah, we're going to be mashups. crazy. This is what you would usually be the uh, the drunken show is what the second show will be. Yeah, kind of, yeah. yeah. It's it's the more chaotic yeah. uh, little short bit. So, uh, But for next week, we're looking at a short list idea. I have a completely insane idea that I really want to play with. So um, I'll, I'll, Excited to hear it. It's, it's, it involves uh, the Flock of Seagulls band. Uh, oh, wow. So <laughs> just a little taste. So um, in, in lieu of the... the hair. Just picture the hair, yeah. In, in lieu of the mashups, although please share your ideas for mashups on our social media for Batman, uh, what properties, besides obviously the Justice League and shit, come on. Um, and yes, mashup with Marvel, yes. Okay, let's Okay, let's just push that to the side. We know, we all agree. Um, and we're down to our trailers. Yes, we are. So which one do you think you're going to do? Oh, I'm definitely doing the Boots Riley uh, movie. I think... As much as I want to see the Sam Mendes version, the Joe Johnson version is going to be so much fun, more fun to do the trailer of. Yeah, I think it'll be a good time. Yeah. So, all right, let me cue up some music. From the mind that brought you Captain America, First Avenger, The Rocketeer, and The Wolfman comes a timeless showing of the Dark Knight. Join us in 1940s Gotham. War ravages in Europe and a disregard for the police happening in the streets. There's Molotov cocktails, there's anarchists, there's socialists, there's workers' strikes and the only thing standing between utter chaos and, uh, and, and peace is the bat. Join John Hamm as Bruce Wayne as he takes on the evil, maniacal Doug Jones as the Joker. Protecting the rich, protecting the poor, and solving the the, the disconnect in the streets. Fucking, I don't know. Um, he teams up with Commissioner Gordon, played by Benicio Del Toro, and Tandy Newton as Catwoman to save the jewel, to run, run the jewel, to save the jewels and bring uh, peace back to uh, uh, a tired city. Peace in our time. <laughs> this fall, Batman, Dark Deco. Woo! Woo! All right. I've already purchased my ticket. Yeah, with that trailer, I'm sure. <laughs> you know what's great in a trailer is when you hear, uh... <laughs> That's always always a good time. Uh... <laughs> Scripted Italian? Is this a spaghetti western? I don't know what. I'll, I'll just wing it. Yeah, that's that's pretty much what I do with all of our shows is wing it. So That's why it's beautiful. <laughs> all right, so next up we've got your version here. If you take a man's heart... If you give a man the compulsion for vengeance and justice, 
If you give that man resources but no guidance, he will be more than a man. He will be a symbol of a man that's gonna get shot in the face. <laughs> From the mind of Boots Riley, Batman's gonna get shot in the face. KJ Apa is Batman, but not for long, as he makes a mess that Wayne Industries CEO Lucius Fox must try to clean up. It's not easy with all of Gotham against him. Who puts a wolf in charge of a Fortune 100 company? Dave Chappelle, Jeffrey Dean Morgan, Mark Rylance, Kevin James, Stephanie Beatrice, Cole Sprouse, Sophia Lillis, Jason Sudeikis, in a story inspired by Larry Longstreth. In the court of public opinion, he is the one who brought darkness to Gotham. Darkness. To clear his name, he'll have to use his wits, his tact, his money, and his respectability. Damn that Lucius Fox is well spoken. <laughs> Can Lucius stay one step ahead of the shadow of the Batman? The shadow of a Batman who's been shot in the face. Batman's gonna get shot in the face coming this summer. That is uh, an incredible title. I love it so much. Um, I would, if there was a movie called Batman Gets Shot in the Face, I would be there at midnight. <laughs> like, I would. I'd be there preview night. Oh. I would have a ticket for the next day as well. well. Now I'm going to get sued by Larry Longstreth, but it's worth it. It's so <laughs> worth it. Um, I had a great time on this uh, introductory episode to this being a two-host a two uh, little joyride here. Yeah, this was amazing. Yeah, so much fun. And such a great way to start it off is with uh, Tales of the Dark Knight. Yes. So. Something that we both love, something we can put all our energies into. Uh, but we're going to keep this level of creative uh, juice flowing, so stay I tuned for more of it. I feel like it's going to get, like, in a very, very warm and, and friendly way, almost competitive to see who can be just <laughs> at, just crazy enough to, like, get away with some of these pitches. Um, you, you have to stay on for the escalation, people. Absolutely. You got to stay on for the escalation. It does escalate for <laughs> sure. And if you want to check out some more escalation, pre please check out some of the previous episodes of Smack My Pitch Up. Um, I had some incredible guests on before we're still going to have some guests occasionally dondi's been on a number of times before a few times yeah uh as well as check out geeks under the influence our main flagship show deeply upsetting the show that uh me and amy bogart have as well it's as so all, much fun all the other shows available on the network available at guipodcast.com make sure to rate review subscribe tell your friends and definitely in the spirit of this being a sequel series or whatever you want to call it on the same stream as smack my pitch up take this moment to make sure to uh, to review us, to give us a rating. Spotify now does ratings, so that's great. If you want to do reviews, Podchaser or Apple Podcasts are a great place to do it. Share it on your social media. Tell people about these uh, these shows and, uh, and share the love. We definitely appreciate it. And uh, we'll find you next time for another episode of Smack My Pitch Up. Uh, fuck, how do I even end these shows anymore? Well, it's, it's, a new, it's a new world, a new you. You can end the show any way you want to. Uh, I'm Mike the Hobbit. And I'm Tondi Woodard. And that's a wrap. Or is it? Da 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 da. <laughs> GUIPodcast.com. Michael Shannon said. Oh no, it's Michael Shannon. Yeah, right. It's Michael Shannon. 
Mike the Hobbit here. Lowdown Brown. Inviting you to check out Geek Some of the Influence, a podcast that pairs booze with conversation with good friends. And a little nerd culture. We get a lot of colorful conversation out of our episodes, but it is here for everyone. No gatekeeping. Always level up everything we do. We'll punch up, never punch down. Exactly. So check out Geeks Under the Influence everywhere you get your podcasts and join us or die. Shut the fuck up, Hobbit. Welcome to GUI Nights. GUI Nights. Yeah, I am Lowdown Brown. With me as always, Mike the Hobbit. This is the tangential side of GUI. This is like so many of those other shows that has the after the show bit mixed with a little bit of Baywatch night, so it's a little sexier. It's a little bit after hours. Also, while tying it into the previous episode of GUI, so look forward to that too, because this comes out the week after the flagship hour-long episode. So make sure to check out GUI Nights, and uh, when you're done, you can go the fuck home. Coming straight from the mouths of madness, I'm Lowdown. I'm F.U. Hunter. Do you love horror? We fucking do. So this is a podcast dedicated to all things in cinematic horror. We're talking movies, television, composers, special effects artists. We're going to fucking cover it. So if you love horror, embrace the madness. My name is Amy Bogard. And I'm Mike the Hobbit. And we are the hosts of Deeply Upsetting, where we use our expertise to answer your most upsetting hypothetical quandaries, such as what non-wigged animal deserves wings? And what body part deserves a secret mouth? Which cryptid is the worst roommate? These questions and more that plague you will be answered on Deeply Upsetting, available anywhere you get your podcasts and at GUIPodcast.com. In a world of blockbuster movies, there is another dimension. The dimension of schlock cinema. Join us at Beautiful Disasters on a journey into the fringe territory of B-movie abandon. We review the flicks that are forgotten or underappreciated to give them a proper place in the annals of celluloid history. I'm the Groots. F.U. Hunter. Your guides at Beautiful Disasters. Come along with us for a fun ride. May the flock be with you. Hey guys, Scotty P here with Smash on your left, and we are the Geek Fathers. That's right, bringing all the trials and tribulations of being a geeky parent. So welcome to our world. And as always, join us or cry. 